Turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel, the 18th chapter. And there is so much teaching packed in these verses that we'll read and also just the general life of David. It's been a real struggle for me to just kind of zero in on one topic because there's so much going on here that we can learn from the life of David. I don't know if you know what a Gatlin gun is, but part of me just wants to fire so many different topics. But if you'll pray for me, we're going to try to stay on point. And I keep coming back to 1 Samuel 18 and thinking about the dangers of fame. The dangers of fame. And I think that's specifically a lesson that we can get out of this. As we speak about that, we want to read a couple verses. In in 1 Samuel 18, let's begin in verse 1. And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that's David, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. This is a good thing. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. Now look over with me, if you would, in verse 19 of the same chapter. But it came to pass at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given unto Adriel, the Maholothite, to wife, and Mishal, David's, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. And Saul said, I will give him her, that she may be a snare to him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Wherefore Saul said to David, Thou shalt this day be my son-in-law in the one of the twain. So what we have here are lessons on the dangers of fame. I think I shared this with you several months ago. Elder Josh Coker was preaching a sermon that I listened to and really enjoyed. And he spoke about what the goal was of young folks in their early teens, you know, say 12, 13, 14, that the primary overwhelming goal of young folks in that category were to be YouTube influencers or social media influencers. That was the goal of their life. And that is so destructive and so against what God would have us to do to become famous and to be an influencer like that. Now, at the same time, you know, we see David who became very famous for a good reason. And so there are times when the Lord in his mercy will raise up a man like David or others that we read about in the Word of God where they do become famous. But just remember, there is always danger that comes with, with being well-known or famous. It will affect who your friends are. And in David's situation here, it certainly affected who he married. There's so many lessons that we could take from this, but the, one of the primary lessons is you don't want to be famous. You don't want to be famous. You don't want to be a YouTube influencer or a social media influencer. You just want to do the will of God as God would have you to be fathers, mothers, workers, employees, bosses, uh, church members, whatever the case may be. There are so many snares that come with being well-known. So I want you to think about David who overnight, he, you ever heard of an overnight sensation? I mean, that's what he is because he went from being nobody to somebody He was a zero, and he becomes a hero just overnight. He goes from just a lowly shepherd boy, young man, keeping sheep to an all-out target because now after he does this with Goliath, over in the country of the Philistines, there's a death warrant out for him. 
They want to kill David because they, he killed their champion. And not only that, because of the mental condition and the lack of being in the will of God that Saul was, Saul puts out a death warrant for him, the very guy that delivered the nation. <laughs> and of course, as we've heard beautifully put this morning, the evil that people do is not the result of God's uh, you know, causing them to do that. But think about how these things began to happen to David after he became famous. He went from unknown to having death warrants on him in a foreign nation and then, of course, in his own nation. So when, when you become famous, guess what happens? Here comes the shooters. They're going to be shooting at you whenever you become famous. I was thinking recently about this, and I do not recommend it because there's, there's terrible language in it. But this North Carolina farmer who picks out a little song on his single instrument dobro that's converted to sound like a guitar, to play like a guitar. And this song that this guy comes out with, who is just a poor farmer, overnight, it's the number one most downloaded song. He's making about $40,000 a day with the downloads that are coming from that song. It's been spoken of in a presidential debate. I mean, overnight, this guy has gone from nobody to everybody knows who he is. And there's a lot of trouble that comes with that because you can read, whether you're looking on the right or on the left or in the middle or wherever, you'll read people just picking him apart and picking his song apart and picking his motives apart. And now he's having to defend himself. So, and also as a side note commentary, it's a, it's a sad commentary on the state of our nation if it takes a song like that to catch people's attention that has the holy mixed with the profane in it because there's profane stuff in it. That's a sad commentary on the state of our nation that it's not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that is reaching God's people and turning their hearts from wickedness to holiness and righteousness. You don't want to be famous. Now I want you to think about the sequence of what happened here with David. As we look at one of David's friends and David's first wife. You know, David, it looks like, winds up having a total of seven wives, but Michal was his first wife. Now, the sequence is David kills Goliath, and he brings the head of Goliath into the tent of Saul. That's prior to chapter 18. And Saul doesn't even know who he is. Now, I know Saul was in a very bad state, out of the will of God, deposed as the king, and David is the rightful king. Nobody really knows that yet, but don't ever forget that the rightful king went to battle that day against Saul, the rightful king of Israel, the appointed king of Israel, the anointed king of Israel. And so Saul says, who is this? You can tell Saul's kind of losing it, right? Because he doesn't even recognize who this is. This is David who had been playing music for Saul in Saul's court for some time. You remember? David was brought to the court of Saul. And when David would play, then Saul would be calm. And when David would not play, then Saul was not calm anymore. But it's not just Saul because even one of Saul's men, Abner, in 1 Samuel 17 and 55 says, I don't know who this is. His primary general doesn't even know who David is. That's a sad commentary, isn't it? You know, he's the young man that's been playing so wonderfully in the king's court. So Saul brings David in with the head of Goliath, and he identifies who he is. And then if we back up to verse 54 in the sequence, after David leaves King Saul in the tent, David goes to Jerusalem, and that's where he shows the Jebusites the head of Goliath. And I believe without a doubt, it was a statement saying, I'm coming after you next because Jerusalem was held by a foreign nation at that point. 
David says, look at what I did here. You're going to be next. Of course, he doesn't get to Jerusalem until he's about 40 years old. But that's a story for another time. So David goes to Jerusalem and he shows the head of Goliath. And then at some point, this happens with David and Jonathan. You know, Jonathan is the dethroned king's son. And they don't understand that Saul has been dethroned. Not yet, anyway. So you got to think about the friendship of Jonathan because here he is, the heir to the throne, at least in their minds. Although, as I said, they didn't understand that Saul had been dethroned. And so Jonathan reaches out and makes a covenant with David. Jonathan gives David everything that he has. And that's something to be said about the friendship of David and Jonathan. This, this is one of the bright spots that you have in the life of David when he became famous, is the connection that he had with Jonathan. Now, let me ask you this. If you read on down into chapter 18 and chapter 19, you'll find that when David, all of this settles down from the battle with Goliath, that David and Saul and the armies come back in to the actual place where they were living and where Saul was uh, had his uh, home. And as they went into the city, this is where the women began to sing and, and that number one hit song where it says, Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. And when Saul hears that, instead of saying, yeah, you know, that's right, I was a coward. <laughs> I would not go out and lead the nation like I was supposed to. Instead of saying that, Saul begins to suspect that David may be the person that Samuel referred to who would take King Saul's place. And notice it says in verse, chapter 18, verse 7, the, the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was wroth. Instead of focusing on, this is what jealousy will do for, for you. you. You won't be satisfied if you become a jealous person. You cannot be satisfied when everything is going good. And this is the best, one of the best times in Israel. They've been delivered from the Philistines. David has killed Goliath with the help of God. And all Saul can think about is that he's not getting the credit that he thinks he deserves. That's another commentary on being famous, isn't it? Because Saul was a well-known, famous person in the nation of Israel. And he's jealous because the women are ascribing ten thousands to David and thousands to him. It says that that displeased him, verse 8, and he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands, as to me they have ascribed but thousands. Now watch what he says. And what can he have more but the kingdom? You see, Saul is starting to get it in his mind. Maybe David is the one that Samuel said is now anointed to take my place because he's been to thrones. He's trying to deny the truth. That's the kind of situation we get into when we deny the truth. You know, he becomes jealous. He becomes irrational. He begins to think that David is out to get him and David has just delivered the entire nation. It says that Saul eyed David from that day forward. And not only that, in verse 10 it says, the next day, on the very next day, after David has delivered the nation, it says the evil spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied in the midst of the house. That's interesting, isn't it? That's what tells me right there that this evil spirit was not a demon or a sinful spirit. I believe that it was a condemning angel of God. And the condemning part of the angel of God coming to him was telling him, you're no longer king. And this evil spirit, this angelic spirit that comes upon Saul causes him to prophesy. You reckon he's prophesying and saying, I'm dethroned, I'm dethroned. Because that's what God told him. And it says that David played with his hand as at other times. 
And there was a javelin in Saul's hand. Can y'all picture him sitting on whatever chair or throne he was sitting on at that point? And he's got a javelin in his hand. And he looks at David and he throws the javelin, the spear, at David to kill him. This is the guy that has just delivered the nation of Israel. I'll tell you, Saul is in a bad place. He's a child of God. Don't you ever forget that. King Saul is in heaven just like King David is today. But children of God can get in bad spots in this life. Don't ever forget that King Saul is a child of God. Don't ever forget that the Lord touched him by His grace. We talked about that a few weeks ago, how Saul was born again uh, before he was, uh, after he was anointed as the king. You remember? He's a born-again child of God, and he is irrational, and he is jealous, and he's angry, and he is trying to destroy his own deliverer. Now, that's what we do when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, when we get in states like that, is it not? We think the Lord is against us. We think He's done something that's contrary to what we need. But I'm telling you, the Lord Jesus Christ has never done anything contrary to what you need. And I'm telling you that David, the king here, did nothing contrary to the needs of Israel. But Saul tries to kill him. That just makes us shake our head. But don't shake your head too hard because you'll find yourself in a condition like that if you get out of the will, the permissive will of God. Saul takes a javelin and tries to kill David. He says, you say, was he just, did he really know what he was doing? Look at verse 11. Saul cast the javelin for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. Could you see David sitting there playing that harp and Saul is prophesying and being irrationally great. He has a spear in his hand and David sees it coming and he throws the spear at him. And then David gets out of the way and departs. You know, a lot had to be going on in the mind of David. I know, I know it says that Saul took him and would no longer let him go home to his father's house. But you know, wouldn't it have been better? And David doesn't stay there, by the way. He has to leave because Saul's trying to kill him. But don't you think it would have been better if David, after he killed Goliath, he'd just gone on back out there and been a shepherd for a few more years? You know, you think about, you know, God didn't decree that David was to stay there in the court of Saul. But David has a lot of trouble because he decides to stay there and be around Saul. Now, Jonathan was a positive, I've said. But you don't want to be famous. You heard, I was thinking about Elvis. There's, there's some Elvis fans in the crowd. There probably will be for another hundred years if people still listen to Elvis music. But you know, Elvis died because he got famous. Y'all know that, right? He died. He's no longer here. Oh, there's some people that say, well, he's, they think he's still alive. Elvis is dead. I'm telling you. When I was working in the legislature in Tennessee, there was a congressman who was from Memphis, Tennessee, and he was on the emergency medical team that went out to Graceland. And he, he said, Elvis is dead. He saw him. Elvis is dead because he got famous. There are all types of things that go along with becoming famous that cause problems. And there are so many problems that came to David because he didn't go back to his father's sheep and just take care of the sheep for a while. Now, Jonathan was a good choice of friends. Now, you notice Jonathan kind of chose David, the son of the deposed king. He was a good choice. He was also become, he became a spy for David. He literally became an undercover spy for David. He spied on his own father for David's behalf. Now, why was Jonathan a good choice? Number one, this is a great lesson on friendship. Number one, he would not betray his friend. He would not betray his friend. Do we? <laughs> We're natural betrayers. You know that? We naturally betray. We naturally default to ourselves. Not Jonathan. 
Jonathan, through thick and thin, through good and bad, he does not betray David. And he saved his life a few times. Number two, Jonathan supports David. You may have heard me say a while back that a true friend will enter into your griefs with you and also celebrate your victories with you. Is that not what Jonathan does here? Jonathan was a hero himself. You remember the Philistines, there was another fight before the days of Goliath, and Jonathan was the deliverer in those days. He was a hero himself. But here's a hero that wasn't jealous of another hero. He was not jealous. He was supportive of his friend. He entered into, you'll see that, he entered into his griefs with him and he also celebrated his victories with him. That is a great lesson for true friendship. If you're a true friend, when your friend has blessings come to their life or victories, you celebrate that with them. You see, you're not jealous of that. Jonathan is quite different than Saul, is he not? Saul is, he lives in jealousy of David. Also, Jonathan was a friend, according to Proverbs 18 and 24, it says, there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Jonathan was a friend that stuck closer than a brother for David. And I've often wondered, where, were, where was David's brothers? You know, he had seven, you remember? And you don't hardly read anything about them. And he was the youngest, so maybe they kind of, you see where they just kind of kicked him to the curb initially. But where was, where was David's brothers through all of this? Jonathan becomes a friend to David who sticks closer than a brother. The word stick right there means to cling or to catch by pursuit or overtake. And to have friends like Jonathan, to have friends like David, to have friends like one another, the proverb says we must show ourselves friendly. You say, well, I don't really have many friends. Well, it might be a good idea to look around and see why you don't have any friends. Are you being friendly? You see? I've said many times that one of the greatest assets that this church has in ministry is being friendly. You know, think about it. You don't split off in little groups here and there, but our ministry is to be friendly to those that come through the doors. To one another, of course, but to those that come and visit. To be friendly. That's a friendly church right there. That is, if you want to have friends, you have to be a friend. Listen, it's the same thing for finding a spouse, too. This, is, this kind of goes into the next section here. But you say, well, I'm looking for a particular type of spouse. I want a spouse that goes to church. I want a spouse that does this or doesn't do that or reads the Bible or, you know, is a hard worker or is a kind person. You know, then it's upon you to be that person. Be a kind person. Be one that speaks in a kind way. Be one that goes to church. Be one that studies your Bible. Be one that prays. You say, well, I just don't know if that's the plan for me to find my spouse. Well, I can certainly tell you it's not at the bar and it's not out at the party crowd. It's not in places where there's ungodliness and the will of God is not being done or followed. It's going to be by being what you should, what you would want someone to be. Just be that person. And the next thing you know, you stumble into that person. That's the way it works. That's the way God works. See, the true test of being a friend is not what goes on in fair weather, but it's what goes on in bad weather. You don't want to be a fair weather friend. Jonathan was not a fair weather friend. He stood beside David through the worst of times. And to be a friend, your true test comes whenever bad times come. And rest assured, brothers and sisters, bad times will come. Maybe you've experienced some of those bad times. A true friend is going to celebrate your victories with you 
And a true friend is going to enter into your griefs with you. Not only that, in verse 3, Jonathan made a covenant with David. You know, true friends make covenants. Years and years ago, almost 27 years ago, I made a covenant with a true friend. Her name is, of course, Tracy. You know, it's not just talking about marriage, because that's not what David and Jonathan did here, but they made a promise to one another to be true to their friendship. So it could be a marriage. You know, as a matter of fact, you know, your best friend in this world ought to be your spouse. You see, that's the way God intended it. But even beyond your spouse, if you're not married, to, to true friends make covenants with one another. I know this is silly, but when I was a little bitty fella and carpooling to school, you know, this idea of being a blood brother was, was kind of popular. You know, that you'd slice your hand, you know, and the other guy would slice his hand and then you'd clasp hands and you'd shake hands. So this little fella and I who carpooled together, we were about seven years. I don't even know if I ever told mom this. But we decided we were going to become blood brothers. But we were so scared to cut our hands. You know, we, we just finally satisfied ourselves, you know, I think spitting in our hands and just shaking our hands, you know. Well, now we're spit brothers, you know. <laughs> but these guys made a covenant. They were blood brothers. In other words, they would die before they would forsake their friendship. That is an attitude that we ought to have when it comes to being friends and brothers and sisters with one another. I will die before I forsake this covenant that God, that the Lord blessed Jonathan and David to have. You know, it says faithful are the wounds of a friend. You know, Jonathan had to come to David multiple times and wound him. Jonathan would go into the house of his father and his father would be irrational and jealous and murderous towards David. And he'd have to come and, and wound David and say, it's not safe. You can't come to my father's house. You know, Jonathan could have betrayed him at any point. He could have said, yeah, come on in. And Saul killed him. I know God's providence would have intervened because David was God's anointed. But at the same time, you see the point. He would not betray him. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Watch this now. This is Proverbs 27 and 6, I believe. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Jonathan was faithful, but Mishal, who David marries, was the kiss of an enemy. It was the kiss of Saul talking about the dangers of fame. Now think about it. Who wouldn't want to marry the king's daughter, right? Here's a king on a throne, or who they think is a king, he's dethroned. But you get an opportunity to marry the king's daughter. That sounds like a match made in heaven, doesn't it? But notice what it says in verse 20, that Mishal, Saul's daughter, loved David, and they told Saul, and Saul was pleased, not because this was going to be a great union, but because Saul said she'll become a snare for him. He knew something about Mishal, that he was more than happy in a wicked way to marry her off to David so that she would become a snare for him. The word snare means noose. He was going to put a noose around David's neck by marrying Mashal off to him. Now, here's the interesting thing. If you read back before that, he was supposed to marry Merab. That was another daughter of Saul. He, Saul said, I'll give you my daughter Merab, which means increase. And instead, he marries off Mishal to him. Mishal's name means who is perfect. And I think that's a very interesting name for Mishal. It's like shrugging your shoulders and saying, I'm not perfect, so you know, just take me as I am. I'm not going to make any improvements in my life. Sort of like a fixer-upper. He marries Mishal instead of marrying Merab. And here's the problem with Mishal. She is a snare to him. She is a noose to his neck. One of the reasons is because she practices idolatry. And you'll see as the, as the story goes on here, we won't read through the whole thing, but basically what happens is David marries her and David has to give an incredible dowry to marry her. And it wasn't in money. 
that David had to give to marry Michal. So he does that. As a matter of fact, he gives twice as much as he was asked to give. And so he marries Michal, and then Saul decides to kill David again. This is his own son-in-law now. And this goes over in chapter 19. And Jonathan intervenes for David. He says to his father, why do you want to kill the man that delivered us from the Philistines? And so Saul sends his men to kill David while he is at his house with his wife, who is Saul's daughter. The housewives of whatever on TV could not be this dramatic. Well, I guess they probably could. But anyway, this is dramatic. And so Saul says, I'm going to kill David. Over in chapter 19, verse 11, it says, Saul sent messengers unto David's house to watch him to slay him in the morning. And Mishal, David's wife, told him, saying, If thou save not thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. So Mishal let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And Mishal took an image, that's an idol, and laid it in the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster and covered it with a cloth. Now, they don't catch David. David gets away. But here's the point. Here's how Saul knew that Mishal was going to be a snare to him, a noose around his neck. It's because she practiced idolatry. And I ask the question as we close our thoughts here this morning, do we... Do we practice idolatry? He said, oh, no, not me. I don't have any little you know, bus of false gods or things like that. I wonder if the Lord Jesus Christ or even if the Lord sent one of his angels and just came to assess my house and, and your house and just walked through and, and they said, now this is an idol and this is an idol. Did you know this is an idol and this is an idol? It would be unnerving, would it not? Are, are you willing to do that and walk through your house? Is this something that I cling to more than the Lord Jesus Christ? Is this something that distracts me from my service to the Lord? You know, you might look above your mantle, what you keep up there. Maybe it's a TV. That could be something that is an idol for you. you say, a TV? Really? I can turn it off. But do you? You see, in the house of David, married to Mashal, there were idols in that house. He said, well, we don't have those anymore. Do we not? Is this thing right here? This is a potential idol for you and for me. We can worship this to the extent that we can't live without it. Are you willing to take an idol inventory of your house and say, what's an idol here? It's kind of a nerdy. I got several guitars hanging in one of the rooms at the house, and I love those guitars, and I love to look at them. I love to play them. But if I sat around and I played them all the time to the detriment of studying the Word of God or getting to know the Lord Jesus Christ better, you see, that's become an idol for me. If I binge watch something all day long and into the night, and I'm so tired the next day that I can't really go to work, <laughs> that's become an idol to me. See, there's idols all around us. We just don't call them the same things as we used to call them. This idol right here in the Hebrew was called a teraphim. And this was an image that was kept and used by people who in the main worshipped the true God. So they didn't associate, you know, Mishal did not associate this idol, this teraphim, with Baal or Ashtoreth or Moloch, but she associated this idol with the worship of Jehovah. She added something to the worship of Jehovah. Now, I can't pass that over without saying, praise God that as primitive Baptists, for centuries, you, you follow along the line of centuries of those who would not add anything to the worship. Praise God for that. Back in the days when they had the Mosaic Law, they were using these teraphims, these idols, these images, and thinking, well, this gives me a little bit more than what so-and-so has. It was like a good luck charm. <laughs> This may offend some, but I'm not trying to offend, but it could be along the same lines of what is known as a good luck charm or a talisman today. Some people refer to a talisman as the crucifix or the yin-yang symbol, or it could be a ring or a family heirloom. I'm a little bit luckier than the next fellow because I've got my grandfather's pocket knife. When I was in college, this is crazy, I know. I know you can't believe this. I won a talent contest when I was a freshman in college. 
And that's the worst thing that ever happened to me because it actually made me think that I was good. And I got about $300 for that talent contest. And I went back to my room. I thought, well, I wore a certain shirt. I wore a certain undershirt. You know, I wore a certain pair of boots. So I said, well, what of this can be my talisman for future good luck? <laughs> so I took my undershirt and it had a little bitty tear on it. And that tear got bigger and bigger through the years. And I kept that undershirt as my talisman, as my good luck charm. And I'd wear that when I would play. I mean, nobody knew that. I mean, y'all know that now. And I wore that T-shirt under my other shirt until it just basically fell off. You just couldn't wear it anymore. It had so many tears and holes in it. Over five or six years. That was a good luck charm to me. That's the silliest thing you've ever heard, isn't it? It was nothing. You know what it was? You know what it really was? It was a t-shirt. A ragged old t-shirt that had no meaning whatsoever. You see, that's what she was doing here. She had her image. And she said, well, I've got the worship going on a little bit better for me because i got a talisman. I've got a good luck charm. Now you think about this. Why in the world would she want a talisman to connect with Jehovah when she's married to the king? Y'all hear that? She's married to David. He, if you, might, if you want to put it this way, he's like the ultimate talisman. God has visited him. God has anointed. He's not a talisman. He is the anointed of God. And she wants to cling to her idols whenever she's got David the king. Come on. I believe she loved him. But she had these things in her life where she could not walk in unison with him. She's got these images. Listen, you don't want to be famous. Fame attracts a lot of trouble. Just ask God to be with you and guide you and help you get through this life in a quiet, meek, humble, hardworking way. You see? Good church member, following the Lord, serving. You don't want to be famous. And, and you may say, well, if I could just be you know, the preacher, then I could get attention and all of that. Trust me. You don't want to go looking for that. <laughs> if, that's, if that's what happens to you as a young man, then God will take care of that. But you don't want to have that goal in mind because no man that ever went looking to become a preacher was ever worth his salt. God's got to call that man and qualify that man. Don't seek attention or fame. It's just going to lead to trouble. I hope that the lessons that we take from David are taken to heart. Whenever we go out with an, a goal of seeking attention, you know, we may find a good friend like Jonathan, but we also may want, run into a snare like he ran into with Michal.